Good morning, church. Show of hands, how many of you have been keeping up with the news and heard that again, our city is opening up even more, steady of course, now that the COVID numbers are declining and going back down to the low hundreds. Show of hands. Yeah, I can see you in the monitor, so. <laughs> yeah, okay, so we've all been paying attention to the news. Change is about to happen again after 18 months of staying home and avoiding gathering in large numbers. But the reality is that COVID is still infecting and claiming lives. Now we're being the, given the green light to begin again with the uncertainty that we may have a few starts and stops and starts and stops again. Many of you are wondering whether we will be resuming live stream again, or whether we'll have Sunday service here at the sanctuary. Many of you have been meaning to ask, where do we go from here? That's a great question. While the answer is not crystal clear to me, and probably to many of you, I'm encouraged by today's scripture passage that will guide us to get wherever we are supposed to be going. Am I making sense? Well, just stay with me. This morning, we are finishing up our sermon series, I've Been Meaning to Ask, focusing on the question today, where do we go from here? When you're shipwrecked, when you're perplexed, when you're content, when you just know you're supposed to be doing something else. In all these situations and more, whether to ourselves, to one another, or to our all-knowing God, I've been meaning to ask, where do we go from here? Why ask? Well, let's explore today's scripture to find out. It is my great joy this morning to have two of our Wellspring family read our scripture for us. And that is Acts 10, if you have your Bible, and they're reading from the NIV version. So let's spotlight Ryan Pye, who is joining us all the way from Rice University in Houston, Texas, and Colleen Itano, all the way from Kailua, Hawaii. <laughs> so please go ahead and read Colleen and Ryan. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. At about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shiny clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, 
by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan and Colleen. I know it was a long passage, but it's a story worth sharing the whole narrative. Right off the bat, I'm going to ask you one of our reflection questions for today. And it is, whom do you identify with in this story? Is it Cornelius, the centurion, his servants, the apostle Peter, the Gentiles or the Jews who came to listen? Who do you identify with? And why is that? I invite you this week to share your answers with your small group or reflect on this in your own personal quiet time. The pastor team would love to hear from you too if you want to share your answer and why it's, it's a wonderful reason for us to connect with you. Regardless though of who you identify with, this passage marks a turning point in God's mission and the people who identify themselves as followers of Christ. This passage gives the authority and invitation for God's kingdom to grow beyond one group of people to all people. Usually when we ask or are asked the question, where do we go from here? It's around the time something has to come to an end and we're on the cusp of new beginnings. We were asked this question several times by many of you as we dealt with putting our church building up for sale and the possibility that we'd have to move physically from our space. The question, where do we go from here, was often our prayer. The disciples and all who loved and followed Jesus suffered their own shipwreck when Jesus was crucified. Of course, Jesus didn't just abandon them. He rose from the dead. He fulfilled his promise. He came back and spent time with them, teaching and empowering them to be prepared to go on the journey with the Holy Spirit, to continue his mission before ascending to heaven to be with his heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit would be their guide, directing their travel and preaching in new places. But in their strideful journey, God uses Peter and Cornelius to forge a new way of identifying and belonging to the family of Christ. 
some background information on the two main guys here because we all come with a story. And I think Pastor Yumiko talked a little bit about Cornelius in our message this morning for the children. Cornelius is a centurion, an officer basically of the Italian regiment. That clues us in that he's on the outside. He's a Gentile. And normally the Gentiles practice included, including included worshiping many gods, not just one. However, Cornelius, he worshiped the one true God and only the one true God, the God of Israel. His life reflected a deep devotion to God in his daily practices. He prayed faithfully. He worshiped this God. He generously gave to the poor. He instilled these practices and values within his own nuclear family, observing and abiding by the Jewish laws and customs. His character and nobility make him a standout. And yet, his Gentile citizenship prevented him from being truly embraced and accepted and having that same sense of belonging to those who were Jewish and followed Christ. It was such that only Jewish people could be circumcised. And by doing so, it formalized one's covenant with God from long before in the Old Testament. Cornelius is a one-time mention in the Bible, but certainly he plays a major role in changing the disparity of being an outsider who cannot come in. And let me just clarify too, just because Cornelius wasn't Jewish, doesn't mean he wasn't liked and respected by the Jewish people. The laws just prohibited him from sharing life and community with those who are Jewish followers of Christ. And really, Cornelius would probably have just continued to do what he was doing and not make waves, but for God seeing and choosing him to be a part of this oneness movement. And then, of course, there's Peter, endearing, impulsive, confident, and God-loving Peter, a fisherman by trade who was handpicked by Jesus to be one of the 12 disciples. By Acts 10, though, we see that Peter has matured quite a bit from being the disciple who denied Jesus three times. He's now leading missions and delivering the gospel of Christ to far-reaching places. In the book of Acts, we witness our triune God as the leader of the disciples and their Jewish followers through the Holy Spirit. The disciples have done well getting the word out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to those who are non-Jewish. But the non-Jewish believers are still outside the circle of being seen and validated as part of God's covenant family because of certain laws until now. Here we see the Holy Spirit is at work breaking down the barriers of culture, ethnicity, race, law, politics, religion, to name a few that separate and prevent all people from having a relationship with Christ as one body equally unified. God's mission was to grow the church, but the way in which the apostles had been going about it wasn't the best way, but they were following the laws and the customs. Cornelius, 
was a good person who belonged, but not quite. Have you ever felt like you knew you were supposed to be a part of something, but didn't quite feel like you belong there, or that people felt that way about you? I returned a couple of weeks ago from the Santa Cruz area after a week of intensive classes on the Old Testament. We were studying the Pentateuch, and classes were five straight days from nine to four-ish and consisted of about five plus hours of lectures every day on the first five books of the Bible. That's like going through one book of the Bible every day. It was intense. It was grueling, it was stressful, and so foreign to me as it was the beginning of my very first seminary class. Between the nervousness of managing the workload, of being a student again, I was anxious being an introvert in a crowd. I was intimidated by the titles and the ways that people presented themselves. Everyone seemed to belong and to fit in but me. I've been used to traveling, I've been going to retreats, but I've been used to traveling with Pastor Rebecca and having the comfort and familiarity of being roommates with her whenever there's a church conference or a retreat. But this time I was by myself. I was gonna have a new unknown roommate. I was forced to get out of my comfort zone daily once I touched down in San Jose to get to my destination. Mission Springs Retreat Center. The first time that the discomfort began was just offering a ride to some of my other fellow students in my cohort from the airport. People I hadn't met and so I already felt a little bit intimidated by. Great start. But it went well enough. They were really kind and personable and spending five hours with them was very pleasant. And then we get to the retreat center and there was this uncertainty of who would be my roommate and all kinds of things going on in this brain from a non-camper, non-retreat type person who when I travel, I usually need to go to my room and wipe everything down in the room before I make house. My roommate was late getting to the retreat center. So I didn't meet her till after 10 o'clock that night, at my best, after a shower in my pajamas, ready for bed. We got to talk a little that night, and to my relief, Sonara, that's her name, that's my roommate's name, was really warm and nice. And by the end of the week, I felt so connected to her. I was so thankful. Monday morning came, and apparently the Ignite Seminary Program takes an annual camp photo. And I don't know if we have that photo. Anyway, it's a photo of a very large group. It's maybe about 75 people standing at this retreat center. And we took that photo, an annual photo. It's three cohorts. And it was big. So this photo gave you an idea of how many people were there at the retreat center. Too many. As soon as the picture was taken, we all reported to our classrooms and the lectures began. Our professor was wonderful. He was excited to teach the Old Testament with a good bit of Hebrew thrown in. 
But as I looked around the classroom, I noticed the demographics. Over half of the 22 students in my cohort were women. Progress. Um, so as I looked around the classroom, right, I, I see mostly women in my cohort, that over half were women, that's great. And I looked around then at the minority representation. I saw two Hispanic women, I saw four black students, and one Asian, including me. Yep, I have to say, growing up in Hawaii, even going away to college on the West Coast, there's been a comfort level seeing and being with other minority. I have to be honest, that's what I was noticing and thinking. And I, I have a picture here of my cohort who I'm going to be with for the next four years, God willing. Really great people by the time this photo was taken on Thursday. As the day went on, I was getting in my own head, freaking my own self out, overthinking and feeling distant as if I didn't belong. I wasn't as comfortable looking and sounding as my classmates. Again, this is my headspace. In actuality, what does comfortable looking and sounding really look like or mean? I wasn't miserable, just uncomfortable doing something that I knew I was supposed to be doing, but it was so new and it was risking what felt familiar and safe, kind of like what Cornelius and Peter were encountering. So our first teaching point today, when posed with a question, and poses the question, where do we go from here? That requires us to step out of our comfort zone. Number one, risk the un. Risk the un. The uncomfortable, the unknown, and the unconventional. The uncomfortable, the unknown, and the unconventional. That's a risk, isn't it? but one that is worth it to glorify and build up the kingdom of God. And that can potentially mean serving and reaching those who have yet to know the undeniable love of Jesus. Risk, whether it's security, control, success, finances, comfort, relationships, fear, and even love, provided that the risk doesn't put you in danger of being hurt or abused in any way. We're talking here about the risk that leads to good and guiding way of experiencing God's love. Acts 10 is the story about risking religious practices, old behaviors, and customs in order to make way for something better to build up God's kingdom with Christ-centered living by joining with the Holy Spirit. Cornelius knew the laws and practices and he respectfully observed them. So when he has this vision of an angel of God actually calling out his name, Cornelius, he was terrified. Understandable because he had no idea what he had done or why this angel was appearing. It wasn't normal. He asked, what is it, Lord? His faith was strong enough that he knew this must be God reaching out to him. God affirms him for his devotion all this time, and he gives him a task that is quite daunting. 
He wants Cornelius to seek out Peter, who he doesn't even know, and bring him back to his house, even though they aren't supposed to be gathering together. But Cornelius is obedient, and he sends two of his servants and a devout soldier to go and get Peter as he gathers people to his home. That was a 39-mile trek. And the angel even gives specific directions on where to find Peter. In Joppa, staying with Simon at a house by the sea. An angel of the Lord GPS. I'll take that any day. Wow. It's a risk into the unfamiliar that Cornelius has got to take. Now, around the same time all of this is happening, Peter has the strangest vision. Here he is praying and he gets hungry, so he decides to start preparing something to eat. I can relate to that. But then he falls into a trance. What? That is crazy. If I'm hungry, I'm focused on eating and the trance might come if someone puts something delicious in front of me. But as he's preparing the food, he goes into this trance and he sees the heavens open up and this great sheet-like thing descends and starts to open up with all kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds in it. And then the voice, rise, Peter. And again, God is talking specifically to Peter. Kill and eat. Rise, kill, and eat. What a strange direction to give. Peter knew that the Israelite laws prohibited him from eating common and unclean animals. And God knew that Peter knew this. So he tells him, what God has made clean, do not call common. Three times he said this. What God has made clean, do not call common. What God has made clean, do not call common. And just like that, the sheep was taken up to heaven. Peter is dumbfounded. I would be, what does it all mean? That vision, as Peter is pondering this, the Holy Spirit tells him that Cornelius' men are looking for him and to go with him. The Holy Spirit even says, don't hesitate because I brought them to you. Another profound statement. So when Cornelius' men tell Peter about Cornelius and the angel's directive to Cornelius, telling him to find Peter and tell him to come to Cornelius' house, that is enough for Peter to go. He goes while pondering the vision of the animals. This is a risk of the unknown. It had to be uncomfortable for these men who did not know one another to come together and who wouldn't normally have even been allowed or have reason to be in each other's social circles. Neither knew what would happen when Cornelius sent his men to get Peter and invite him to the house. Whether Peter would even enter the house because he wasn't allowed to under the rules. I have to give credit to Pastor Yumiko for preaching on the book of Ruth last week and encouraging us to be and do the unconventional but biblical thing in offering and receiving what's needed from each other. Peter and Cornelius definitely responded to the need and took a risk with the unconventional going against a system that has been in place way before the Messiah was even born. That's courageous. Reflection question number two asks you, in your own life, 
What un are you being invited to join with the Holy Spirit in? What un? Is it the uncomfortable, the unknown, the unconventional? How will this challenge you? How might it transform you? How will you respond? Nothing is too big or too small of an un for the Lord. And if could be that you want to do something like get involved with a charitable cause and you're not sure what it will entail or how to start, it could be you're trying to talk to someone that you've been in conflict with for a while and it's scary and it's uncomfortable, risking being rejected. It could be you are just struggling with staying connected with your church family because we've been apart for so long and you don't really know what or how to reconnect. Just know when you risk, you will not be alone. Back to my seminary class for a little bit. I was, I was feeling somewhat like Cornelius, doing what I thought would be honoring to God and learning more to enable me to be a better teacher and preacher. I knew it would be risk to do something that would mean a new beginning of being uncomfortable, full of unknowns, and even unconventional. Here I am, an Asian American woman in my mid-50s, going to seminary in what has been a predominantly white male culture. It's a risk. It still feels a lot uncomfortable, but I go because God has called me to be in this season of the uns. In our scripture passage, Cornelius tries to deal with the awkwardness of their meeting and the unconventionalness of it all right away. He assumes a posture of humility with Peter when he sees him and he falls to his feet, worshiping him. By then, Peter realizes the meaning of the vision in his trance with the animals. He builds up his new friend as one of Christ's own, saying, stand up, I too am a man. He's conveying, we're the same. We're people. We love the same God, which is a surprise and a relief to Cornelius because he's already invited a house full of people to come hear Peter preach the gospel, not knowing, right, whether Peter would come or even receive him. Peter understands now that this is part of the Holy Spirit's work to contribute to God's mission. And so he diffuses the tension of differences by telling them all Despite Jewish laws prohibiting association or visits between Jewish and other nations, God has shown him, Peter, that no person should be called common or unclean. Wow. He's just announced the breaking down of barriers, discrimination, and legalism in exchange for inclusiveness and relationships to be able to live out God's heart, and mission on a grand scale. Everyone is welcome. Inclusiveness and relationship that sees every single person as worthy of a just and valid, genuine relationship with Jesus. So when posed with the question, where do we go from here? Number two, join with the Holy Spirit in God's missional heart. Join with the Holy Spirit in God's missional heart.
both Cornelius and Peter realize that they share the same God and faith, a God who is very much alive and present through the Holy Spirit, and a God who has released them to relationship and community with each other, serving with and alongside each other. When Cornelius responds to Peter's being there in verse 33, he says, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And this is a rather prophetic and true profession of Cornelius's faith in God's invitation and presence about to be known in the form and power of the Holy Spirit. And there's no denying the Holy Spirit is there. Those of you who have had a nudge or even a big push by the Holy Spirit at points in your life, you know what I'm talking about. I've had many enough. The latest in my Old Testament seminary class. On our second day of classes, it was Tuesday, our professor began our class asking if anyone had any comments or questions about the day before or from the day before. And several people raised their hands asking about class material. But I was feeling that weird, stirring, gnawing nervousness that comes up from realizing that you're going to have to say something out loud in front of a group of people that you aren't comfortable with. I was sweating and it was really cold in the room. It was like in the 50s outside and freezing in the sanctuary that we were in. The window of opportunity was closing as the professor asked if there were any more questions and there was a silence before moving on to the day ahead. And so I raised my hand. And I don't remember my exact words, but it went something like, I wasn't gonna say anything, but I feel this is the Holy Spirit prompting me to share. We're a cohort and we're gonna be together for the next four years. And, and this is hard for me coming into a new setting. I'm really shy in big groups. And I realized that before class started, we never got to come together as our cohort, just our cohort together. We met up with other cohorts for worship and a photo, but we never got to begin as a unified group. And I wanna encourage us to start being open and genuine and sharing with one another because the support and encouragement that we get from each other, knowing that there's gonna be highs and lows over the next four years is what's gonna help us get through the next four years together. And then there was silence. Talk about risking being uncomfortable and unknown. The professor had only asked for questions and I went ahead and created a different agenda. But because the Holy Spirit was really prompting me to do so. And when I was able to share these words, I felt so unburdened to say, this is me trying more importantly to say that part of being together in a cohort, in seminary nonetheless, means being unified and in community with each other. And that means getting to know who each person really is, where, they're, where they are from, where they are hurting, what they need, and where we are going from here. Looking around these acquaintances of mine, we're now smiling giving thumbs up, nodding in agreement, 
And as classes went on for the rest of the week, we're sharing openly and more vulnerably. See, by joining with the Holy Spirit, it cannot help but be about God's mission to bring people together, regardless of what makes us different. By Thursday, I could go somewhat comfortably to the beach and to dinner with my cohort family. I think it's still going to take time for me to feel completely comfortable being me. But again, when you are part of God's mission with the Holy Spirit, it makes being in the unknown much more bearable. And it gives you a strength and faith that you wouldn't feel going at it alone. The story of Cornelius and Peter pioneered a new way and serves a great example of what happens when we pour, when we put our agenda aside and we follow God's agenda. The story is also about friendship, sisterhood, and brotherhood, taking risks to be vulnerable and genuine, addressing and breaking down the barriers of systemic racism and discrimination or anything that promotes exclusion. It's about the importance of sharing the word to anyone that will hear it. And then there's this phenomenal ending that affirms the blessing that comes from doing our part with the Holy Spirit. Peter responds to the Holy Spirit's call to preach and deliver God's proclamation that God shows no partiality and invites every nation, every person, anyone who fears and follows him and his teaching. And as Peter goes on to proclaim the good news of reconciliation through Christ Jesus as our teacher, as our healer, as the son of God in the flesh dying for our sins that we are forgiven, could anyone have predicted what happened next? Verse 44 and 45 says the Holy Spirit then fell on all these people hearing the word. The Gentiles who weren't circumcised or baptized were filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who were circumcised believers who had accompanied Peter were in awe watching the Holy Spirit work in the Gentiles. This is exciting. The message that God wants to break down the barriers that separate, that God is limitless in his capacity to reach people, that God can use anyone to be part of this universal mission. None of the Gentiles, these so-called outsiders, were circumcised or baptized, but the Holy Spirit was accessible to them. Why? Because God simply desires openness of heart to enter in. Because Cornelius and Peter listened to God and took the risk of bringing the message of God's hope for reconciliation and for a better world to those who were on the outside. It's not a part of this passage, but the ending of division was also the beginning of the church in Antioch, one of the largest and most cosmopolitan cities in part of the Roman Empire, a church that would become the first multi-ethnic church in history, and it would be the place where we first start to call believers in Christ Christians, and a place from where the first international missionaries are called and sent out to continue joining with the Holy Spirit in God's missional heart. All because of this encounter. 
Our last reflection question is focused on the Holy Spirit, and it's one I asked as a new believer. And I would have loved to hear from others. So I ask you to consider how would you describe an encounter or stirring of the Holy Spirit to someone unfamiliar with God moving in this way? How would you describe an encounter or stirring of the Holy Spirit to someone unfamiliar with God moving in this way? I would love to hear your responses. So feel free to reach out and share with me or the rest of our pastor team. Friends, whether shipwrecked or in the season of life that seems like change might be on the horizon or perhaps the pandemic where we've all spent 18 months apart, Be open to the Holy Spirit's lead as you ask, where do we go from here? And take a risk to join with the Holy Spirit and with one another together as a unified body of equals in Christ. Your pastor team has been pondering and praying about this for a while as we wonder, where does Wellspring go from here? While the journey may mean that we risk being in the unfamiliar and the unknown and the unconventional, which I actually think Wellspring has had lots of good practice in. We'll continue praying and doing our best to join with the Holy Spirit and with each of you in living out God's missional heart of caring for one another. So to each of you this morning, I've been meaning to ask, where do we go from here? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we always invite your presence to fall upon us, although we don't know what it's going to look like or how complicated things are going to get. What we do know is that in everything where you are leading and loving us, it is a good thing. Father, I pray for anyone that has heard this message today and is like those who came to hear Peter share the gospel and desire to receive Christ. I pray if someone now is feeling your nudge, your invitation to be a part of your Christ family and has not done so, that they would pray this prayer right now. Loving Father, I ask your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for me, to come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins and cleanse me. I desire to follow you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord of all, we especially ask that you would continue to press upon us that we are one people, one family, your family, that rather than letting us be labeled according to race or religion or ethnicity, cultural differences, politics, social economic status, gender, and anything else that sets us apart from each other, I pray that we would see with your eyes, we would hear with your ears, and serve with your heart, and be convicted to live and be equal partners living into your mission for you, Lord of all. Father, we open ourselves up to stepping out of our comfort zones in order to do your work, to serve others, to share your story of love and redemption, even though it may mean we are uncomfortable in the process. It's worth it, Lord. You're worth it. As we strive to be open for you to sanctify us with the heart the mind, and the soul of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, be breath, 
and life as you journey with us, with the life and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.